0: Welcome to 2011 Region 2 Convention. My name is Vladka. I'm compulsive overeater and moderator for this session. I am supposed to announce this in front of each session. Are you having a good time? Yeah. <laughs> um, we would like to take advantage of all the other things this convention has to offer to help Region 2 carry the message. If you like what you heard and want to take it with you so you have it all year round, please stop by the Recording Center tables outside the Houston Room. They have CDs and MP3 downloads from all sessions. If you saw Maria's stylish outfit during the play last night, <laughs> they, were, they, they were all from the Rags to Riches Boutique. Stop by and see what uh, gem you can find. Next door to the boutique is silent auction, bid on Dadger tickets and computer printer, airline tickets, and other wonderful prizes. Also, we have magnets and pins with every program saying no to men. Don't miss it. Visit our hospitality suite to have a quiet place to talk. Find out about local places to visit and look at somewhere from other intergroups. Finally, we have t-shirts for sale across from registration desk. Please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining, reframing from taking pictures in this or any other meeting room. Will everyone who cares to please join me in a serenity prayer. God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. The title of this panel is Physically Normal, Emotionally Not. The format for the session is reading from our literature. Three speakers and a questions from the Ask It basket. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass around a basket with paper and pencil for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are directing uh, your question to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving even if you have already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions that they did not have when basket was first passed by. Can I ask the volunteer to read selection from pages 6 and 7 from the June 2011 edition of Lifeline magazine?
1: I am Felina McAmosa, reader. Not all of us struggle with size. Many members have maintained an outward appearance that seems normal. For those, the change comes with healing the mental obsession, self-centeredness, and destructive behaviors used to maintain a normal body size. Away is not just about physical recovery. Often, physical recovery does not come at the beginning, and that's okay. It did not occur for me until I had been in the program long-term. I kept trying to work the steps and did. A combination of physical, emotional and spiritual recovery has kept me coming back and living a new life that is truly joyous, happy and free.
0: Our first speaker, speaker is Michelle G from Long Beach. Hi, I'm
2: Michelle. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a little nervous, so I would like all of my friends from the Long Beach, Lakewood area to take off your clothes and make me feel better. They said they'd do it. I um, Actually, it was very funny. I was telling my manicurist yesterday that I was very nervous about speaking today, and what she said to me was an amazing pearl of wisdom. She said, Michelle, it doesn't matter what you say as long as your nails look fabulous. So I'm going with that. My nails look fabulous. doesn't matter what I say today.
3: Um,
2: I would like to apologize in advance for two things. First, I cuss like a sailor. Yay and second um i do talk about food specific food and if that offends anyone i apologize and it is certainly not my intention um after being in program for a while i have learned that i'd like to make my amends before i make my transgression so that's what i'm doing right now i do apologize in advance for either of those things um i do want to say that i've talked to some people individually this weekend and, and a theme that i've heard and it sort of makes me sad um on an individual basis with some people is this feeling that, that I don't belong. You know, the, the topic of this particular uh, talk is um, physically normal, emotionally not. And for me, that has been something that has made me not feel like I have uh, fit in. I've been in program for 32 years, and I've been absent for 30 years, and I had... Thank you. I probably had about 20 pounds to lose. I came in when I was 21 years old, and under the watchful eye of my father, who did not like me and who did not like fat people, I kept the weight at bay through sheer will. But the thing I wanted to say about the not fitting along, uh, fitting in, is that I've heard today when I've spoken individually with people sort of this sentiment that, you know, one lady said, well, I don't feel like I fit in because I'm a newcomer and I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the steps mean. And I spoke to someone else and she said, I don't think I fit in because I'm struggling with my faith and I don't really believe in a higher power and I just don't fit in. And and sometimes I feel like I don't fit in because I haven't had a hundred pounds to lose. So I, you know, so, so um, the truth is we all belong here. If we have a problem, if I have a problem with food, if I spend more time mentally masturbating about food than masturbating myself, I have a problem with food, and I belong here. Oh, my God. My kids might listen to this. Sorry, guys. Um, anyways, I came into this program when I was 21 years old, like I said, under the watchful eye of my father, who watched every morsel I put in my mouth. I... Um, I kept my weight down and I learned how to steal food and I learned how to hide food. Those were the the things that I learned. And um, feeling a little vulnerable, sorry. Um, The reason that I went towards food is because I have this big, black, empty hole in my soul where self-love and self-esteem and self-acceptance belongs but does not reside. Even yet, after 32 years and a lot of therapy, and I'm still working on it. Um, And so when I was a kid, food was my default. As I got older, compulsive busyness, perfectionism, you know, you name it, all that stuff. Even I can even compulsively work this program because I tell you what, that, you know, doing anything outside myself can help fill that big, black, empty hole in my soul. And um, so... I came into, uh, well, what happened was, under my father's watchful eye, I only gained a little bit of weight. I was pleasantly plump, mildly chubby. And then I went away to college, and all bets were off. And um, it wasn't just a freshman 15. I'm an overachiever. So it was probably, you know, about 20, 20 pounds. I was petrified to go home. I did go home. My father saw me, immediately sent me to the Schick Weight Loss Center. Um, to lose weight, which I lost, and then gained right back. So um, I don't want to stay too long in how what it was like, but the, the night before I came to my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting, I knew I was in trouble. I, uh, I needed my fix. I was setting for finals, and I was freaking out, and I needed my brownie cake delight really bad, and I needed more than one brownie cake delight. And where I lived in the Valley on Receita Boulevard, there were like 531 flavors within... I'm sorry, 31 flavors within a five-mile radius. And I needed my fix, but I also needed to keep the weight off. So I rode my bike to one, and I roller-skated to the other, and I jogged to the other to get my fix. And I knew I was in trouble. So the next morning, and you know, this is before computers, I don't even know how I heard about OA, but I went to my first meeting at the Darby Annex, and then I proceeded to struggle for two years trying to get abstinent. So, if I say nothing else that makes any sense to you, please know, keep coming back, because you'll get it when you get it. So, I struggled for two years, and I'll tell you what happened. Um, Two things happened. First of all, I went to an OA retreat, and you would think that it was the pearls of wisdom I got from the speakers, but it wasn't. What... Happened at that retreat is it was the first time I had eaten with other overeaters, and what I believed was that everyone was eating three ounces of protein, maybe four, a fruit and a vegetable at every meal. That's what I thought abstinence was. I thought it was a diet. So I go to this retreat in Malibu, and people are eating, and it's breakfast time, and there's like two eggs, and two eggs, and a couple pieces of toast. They even put butter on their bread, and I'm thinking, oh my God, these people are pinnacles of OA society. They're abstaining, and look at what they're eating. And it was the first time that I realized that abstinence was not a diet. So that was huge in terms of my growth and my becoming abstinent. The the second thing that happened is that I got a sponsor. For two years, I tried to do it myself because, hey, I'm really capable. I'm a good student. I'm a good learner. I can read. I can do this myself. So for two years, I tried to do it myself. And uh, after all the struggle, I found Ginny, who I haven't seen in 30 years, but any 20-something years. Um, what she did was just amazing. She said to me, okay, Michelle, I want you to make two lists of foods, uh, two, two lists, one list of foods that when you eat them, you feel uncomfortable. Broccoli and chicken were not on the list, mostly sweets and things like that, okay? Well, she said, I want you to make a list of behaviors that when you do them, you feel uncomfortable. Well, that was easy, grazing, saying I wasn't going to eat anymore, and eating more, eating off of other people's plates, not waiting for food to defrost before I ate it, you know, all these behaviors. And she said, okay, honey, because she was so sweet. Okay, honey, she said, that's your abstinence. You don't eat those foods. You don't do those behaviors. You get down on your knees every single morning. You say the first three steps and the following prayer. God, please do for me what I cannot do for myself. And that was it. And um, she had me eat three meals a day with nothing in between because I was a grazer and I, you know, my meals could be whatever. And so to be honest with you, the first six months, every single day for lunch, I went to Jack in the Box. I got a chicken supreme, which is a fried chicken sandwich with cheese on it and lots of mayo. I got a french fry and I got a chocolate shake, which somehow didn't make it on my list. I don't know how that didn't get on my list, but it didn't. So... Every single day for six months, I had that for lunch. And every day she said to me, you abstained today. And it was a frickin' miracle. Because what happened is I started feeling like a success in this program. She gave me self-esteem. She told me that even though I was eating what I thought was horrible, a fried chicken sandwich, french fries, and a chocolate shake, I had a beginning and an end. I, that was it and so she told me I was absent. and so one day six months into it I went to order my lunch and I went hmm maybe today I'll have a diet coke tomorrow I can have a chocolate shake because Jimmy said I could but today maybe I'll just have a diet coke and I did and I lived and it was amazing and it was a choice and that has sort of been how my abstinence has been for the last 30 years. I have had lots of choices. Now I, I work with uh, friends who are my sponsors. Um, I talk about what I'm going to eat. My food plan has changed several times. I had three meals a day with nothing in between. I went through two abstinent pregnancies where I gained 28 pounds and lost it and had to eat six small meals a day. I have had no sugar. I have incorporated sugar. I had 20 years where I ate three meals a day and a frozen yogurt for dessert, until one day when my stomach said, "You cannot handle any more acidophilus or whatever the hell they put in yogurt," because I went to eat my yogurt it's like, "Oh my gosh!" And so, after 20 years, my little obsession with frozen yogurt had to end. Um, but then, but that worked for me. You know, it worked for me, and um, there are. I have what I call my um, my levels of abstinence. Um, I have, and I know that I, I have um, my honeymoon abstinence, where it feels good, and I'm, I am eating four ounces of protein, a fruit, and a vegetable in every meal. You know, I feel great. And then I have about 90-something percent of the time I have... Um, you know, don't really think about food, whatever. And then about five, oh, 3 to 5%, now I'm getting older, 2% of the time, I have my PMS abstinence, which is get out of my fucking way. I'm going to have a hamburger, a french fry, and a Diet Coke. Um, and that's my PMS abstinence. And then what I do is, you know, the next day, it's like, oh, all right, that passed. And I feel better, and it's, it's back to basics. So what is the difference between Overeaters Anonymous and any other diet out there? To me, it is working the steps of the program. You know, I I can't even say it's God because there are other programs now that are God-based. There's a lot of, you know, faiths that have certain God-based programs. But they don't have the steps. See, and this is my thing. Like I said, I have this big, black, empty hole in my soul. And I need to fill it up with something. And I used to fill it up with food. And now I have to fill it up with the steps. And... When we when we take away things, like when I take away food, or if I take away a behavior, I create a void inside of me. I need to fill it up with something. Otherwise, something else compulsive is going to pop in there. I can pop in compulsive busyness. I can pop in shopping. I can pop in my codependent behaviors. So, the steps is what um, what works for me. And I have newcomers, people that I work with, that say, "I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean, work the steps?" And this is what I say. It's very, very simple. There's five things to work in a step as far as I'm concerned. You read about it. You think about it. You write about it. You talk about it. And you pray about it. And that's about it. And so what I recommend, and this is what I do, you know, I I recommend that you buy two or three of the books, the big book, and a couple 12 and 12s from OA and AA, pick a step, Again, read about it, think about it, write about it, share about it, and pray about it. Interestingly, only one of those things requires another person. And I know this is a, a group of, um, you know, we, we do a lot of stuff together, our meetings and our phone calls and all that stuff. But i got to tell you, I think there's a lot of space for quiet contemplation And I think that that's missing in a lot of people's programs. I know it was missing in mine for a long time because I didn't have time, because I was very busy, being completely busy, taking care of my family and doing everything. And now that I'm trying to slow down and trying to fill up that big, black, empty hole in my soul, I am finding that quiet contemplation is where I need to go to do that work. And so almost every morning, I grab my little box with a handle and my cup of coffee, and I go outside because people say I should go in nature, and I don't like nature because Jewish people don't do nature, but <laughs> we don't camp, certainly. But anyway, so, so I go out on my patio and with my books, and I do. I, I read, you know, one of the steps, um, whichever one, you know, I read a couple of pages, even a couple of paragraphs. I read a couple of my daily meditation books. I pick an angel card because I'm into airy-fairy angels, so I do that. And then I start to think about it. And i got to tell you, what I'm working on right now is trying to figure out what I want and what I feel. Because in addition to being a compulsive overeater, I'm a codependent. And I know what all of you want, and I know what all of you feel. But I don't know what I want, and I don't know what I feel. And sometimes, you know, I have to start writing because I try and think about it, and it's like, okay, all of a sudden the list of things to do, i got to write that down. I put it on another piece of paper and tear it out and put it in my pocket because that's always... how do I feel today? I don't know. What do I want today? I thought about the other day. I said to myself, I want to do a puzzle. What? I went to Target and bought myself a Disney puzzle. I mean, I am really, really working hard on this, you guys. I am really trying to figure out what I want and who I am and what I feel. And I want to fill that big, black, empty hole in my soul, which still is here, even after all these years in program. But I'm working really, really hard. So I just want to say that um, the steps of this program and the relationship that I have gotten with God as a result of this program has become the moral and spiritual fiber of my being. Everything that I have, everything that I am, is a result of this simple program. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Michelle. Our next speaker is Lee Kay from San Fernando.
1: Hi, my name is leah and i'm a compulsive overeater and uh bulimic
3: Hi, leah.
1: and um once i was for once one day for a few days i was anorexic and as i like to say um if there was any other ways to qualify that i've done weird and sick food things with food i am it so i'm really happy to be here i uh when when Michelle called me and i'm from the san fernando valley when rochelle called me and said um god i'd really love for you to speak on a panel you know, it's about, you know, you look okay, but you're emotionally, emotionally yeah. you know. Uh, I said, you know, I could not be more honored. Thank you so, so much. I, uh, you know, and there used to just be a day when I wanted people to tell me that I was thin, you know. Now I want people to tell me, you know what, you are really emotionally together. Um, and uh, you are really spiritually deep, you know. And uh, so I'm just going to... Um, Qualify just a very small bit about my background, which, um, in short, is I came in. I, my top weight is 120. My bottom weight was 96. I weigh. I was at the doctor's yesterday. Uh, I weigh 103. Um, and I've been in absent for 20 years. And I only. I don't have a scale. And. I am still emotionally off base enough that when I went to the doctor and they put me on the scale and I was like, they didn't let me take my shoes off. It was like, you know, I want to peel, want to peel like, you know, the top level of my skin off when I get on a scale, you know? Because I hardly ever weigh myself. They won't let me take my shoes off. And, and 20 years into the program, I just want you to know that I spent on and off during the rest of the day trying to calculate, okay, let's see, I was wearing these jeans. I got three and a half pounds, you know? My, in other words, I'm still emotionally reeling in. The stuff that um, I only have emotional freedom from when I acknowledge that that will probably never be ever go away, and it's okay as long as I have you, as long as I have a higher power, as long as I know that I'm not alone. The fact that that never goes away will no longer be my mission of my life. I will actually get on with my life and and do other things. So, um, you know, um, very briefly, like uh, when I when I first got abstinent. Uh, I started a program in New York, and I was eating 700 calories a day, and it was hot outside, as it tends to get in the summer in New York. And, um, you know, I was walking around with, like, a full-length trench coat, and it was, like, in an 80 with 85-degree humidity, and it gets really warm there, you know. And um, I w- But I knew exactly what to do. And what I knew to do is I was eating 700 calories a day, and um, I weighed 120 pounds, And um, when I found my way by the grace of God and everything else into these rooms, um, I was just shocked to realize that um, I could actually eat a lot more food and uh, lose weight. And um, what I discovered was it was uh, the reason why I was not losing weight is not because um, of the food, because I actually had no tool to digest my own life. I could not digest a moment of what was happening to me. Um, I I had no idea. uh, Let me just back it up and and, uh, apologize for going back and forth. I'd like to blame it on being a Gemini, but um, I'll just say it's. um, You know, before I came into the rooms, I was emotionally the healthiest person on the planet. Um, I didn't even know I had an emotion. So it helped me to stay very, very emotionally healthy. And I was, I had, I had, a, I had a, it didn't matter that I had um, had a very brutal divorce. I, um, you know, I had a lot of friends and I was very successful at the time in my field. And um, so I just figured I was an emotional success. I had no idea until I heard them say um, in the rooms, we will love you until you love yourself. Um, I really had no idea that I did not love myself. In fact, I had no idea how depressed I was. I'm just going to call it what it is, it's depression. Um, and I had no idea that this was, as they said in, in New York, a d- disease of self-hate. And I had no idea that that's an emotional issue because I was just great. I just, you know, I, I walked up the stairs in my – I had a, lived on the fourth floor walk-up. And every night before I went home, um, this was in my – uh progressive part of my disease, much progressed. I would stop at the, um, at the market. I would get a half gallon of ice cream. I would put it in my mouth and I would spit it out over the sink. I wasn't a believer, bulimic because believers are really sick people and I was emotionally very healthy. What I was was I was a person that was under so much stress and had such a big life with such importance. That this is what I had actually convinced myself. This is how people just make it. Th- at the end of the day, this is what people do. You know, you have a big life. You put, you stand over the food and you, and you put, you know, whatever. And you are so smart. Because this way, you're not really a bulimic. And you're not really throwing up. And you're not really swallowing. So you have the best of both worlds. This, and this is like I mean, what I thought was emotional health. So um, 20 years later, um, uh I would love to tell you that I am like um really got it together um and um I heard a a great saying the other day from someone um and the saying goes like this and forgive me it has a word of swear in it but it, it, i think it's effective and the uh they said the only people that are um got their shit together are the ones that are standing in it <laughs> What this program gives me is an opportunity to stand in my shit. And I am so eternally grateful because I, uh, I know, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that these emotions are not going away. Um, when I first got abstinent, I, I was just so happy to not have the hate going on in my head that told me, you can't make it through a day. Because okay, every day I'd wake up like uh, I'm sure many of you did or have or do. Just thinking, you know, oh, God, if this is going to be the day, and then, you know, it's not the day. So just to not hate myself that much, I was so elated. And um, I didn't know the long journey I was going to have. They said, well, love you too, you love yourself. And I kind of jokingly said, because I was far more sarcastic at the time, you guys are in for a long haul. Um, they, they were in for, I didn't know that I was in for a long haul. I figured, okay, now I'm at this and now everything's going to be great. And what happened was is that um, I was – rather than – I didn't – I started white-knuckling my emotions because the more I was abstinent, the more I realized my higher power was basically saying, if you want to stay abstinent – and this wasn't a threat. This was like a call to grow. If you want to stay abstinent, okay, here's the next level, and here's the next level, and here's your next emotional challenge, and here's your next thing to look at. You know, and I don't know. I can't um, – I, I know, my experience of being in the rooms and sponsoring people and being sponsored, I've really never met anybody in these rooms who has come from a really fantastically fabulous background. Um, I have never met anybody who didn't have an emotional wound. And, I, and if I ever do, um, um, I will know that you are really sick. <laughs> I'm not, not really. I will know that... Um, You know that you're like an exception to the very best of exceptions. The rule. I I did did not know how completely sick my own family was, and it's taken a lot of, and how sick I was in that family unit, and it's taken many years, many years, and it will continue. And and, I mean, you know, it's like I'm not young, and I know people that are a lot older than me. And the best piece of advice I ever got was from a, uh, a cousin of mine who, before she died in her very late years, looked at me and said. Leah, I hate growing up. That was her last thing she said to me. So the great relief is um, I can be gentle on myself. I'm not going anyplace. I'm here in the moment. And in this moment, I have certain feelings. And in the next moment, I'm going to have other feelings. And they're not going away. Um, The beauty of today is, is that somehow for the last 20 years through the grace of abstinence the program certainly all of you uh and uh, I'd like to say me because I'm so emotionally sound I've had the good grace the good grace of being able to stand in my shit and not eat over it and not eat it either you know and um that's what this that's what this program offers offers to me um It's a love for myself. It's a love for others, which I, you know, I mean, I came in here, and I remember when I first looked in the rooms, um, they had, you know, uh, um, all the steps and all the traditions were up on the wall, and uh, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. I I, I actually had to go home and look up the word humbly. I didn't know what it meant, but I discovered what it meant. In my second meeting, when the woman got up, and I I thought, okay, this is my second and final meeting. These people are all emotionally sick. They all look like hell. And look, some of them are even old, you know. Um, Oh, my God. And uh, this woman got up, and she started talking, and she told her story. And her story was that she was, um, she became a convulsive overeater at the age of 16 when she was in her sophomore year at Oxford University. And that was a... And that was my moment of humility it's like I've been these people are all dumb these people are this and um you know so I really have learned so much how to love other people I didn't know this was going to be an emotional moment so you don't have to plan for emotions they're just there I really did not know that this program was going to teach me to not be afraid of you and to not be afraid to look into your eyes and to see a higher power and to let others in because I'm afraid of everything you know, and um, that's just how it, how it is. And, you know, the difference today is that rather than um, being propelled by the fear, I, I on my best days, I, I can say I, there's a difference between I am afraid and I have fear, you know. So I'm here, and I have some fear. I'm here, and I have some joy. And I have real joy, and I have real sadness, and I have real fear. And I have, you know, real madness in my head like it you know and um you know um and i still don't think i look good you know it's like you know my body weight's perfect they tell me your body weight doesn't matter now it's on to something else it's like i woke up and i thought you know what i can't go i need to stop on the way to the airport and get a face you know <laughs> i see these things you know the 45 minute list or whatever and they let you out so it's always, this is my head. I don't know what I look like. I don't, I want, I don't want to know what you look like, so it's much easier for me to revaluate. And I can't fix it. I can't change it. I didn't, you know, I'm not responsible. But what I can do is I can pray and I can thank God for this rooms, work the steps. Um, I do a gratitude list every morning and a gratitude list every night, which personally really has helped me to realize that I have much to be grateful for and to to exercise a muscle that when not used will automatically be the the little wobbly wobbly cellulite fat muscle that comes in and says everything stinks and so do you you know so I practice that and um, I um, I'm just so very grateful that for today um, I have a love of I have a love of God and I know that a uh, higher power and I know that a higher power has a love of me. And I, and I know that that will change, and I know that, I, that my higher power has changed. Everything changes. Um, and I will never be an emotional genius. I will never be a spiritual genius, um, but I will always be a member of these rooms. So thank you for letting me share.
0: Thank you, Lee. Is our Ask a Basket coming around? Yes, great. Okay, Okay. and our next speaker is Karen. And I... Where are you from?
4: Good evening. I'm Karen, recovering compulsive overeater from the Inland Empire hi, and um, I saw a um, Region 2 rep come in here, and I ran after him, and I said, "Um, what's this meeting? You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, you're all jazzed at these conventions, and um, something about the emotionally not connecting. I'm
2: like, oh, let me get my bag. I'll be right back.
4: That's, That's for me. I'm totally not emotionally there. That's my meeting. And in the lieu of that, I went back to this room, and I was kind of in another conversation, and then somebody came and asked, we need a panel. We need a panel speaker. And I'm like, for what? And they're like, well, you know, for the emotionally. And I'm like, oh, well, do you have five years? I sure do. Yes. Okay, come on. All right.
3: Woo, let's go.
4: So, you know, you never know when you're going to be of service. So always smile and, I guess, look pretty.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let me qualify. I've uh, been in program since 2005. I have lost 115 pounds one day at a time thank you very much and um, I uh, when you lose 115 pounds your mind has to catch up with your body and um, I've experienced two uh, edges of the sword when you lose 115 pounds and one of them is really quickly I'll share is people that have known me, they're, they don't know how to deal with that. They have a difficult time dealing with somebody who has lost that and then actually has maintained it and hasn't gained it because I've probably been 700 pounds because I've lost and gained and lost and gained and gained, 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 gained. So um... And then you meet people who think you're fat. And then you're like, well, go suck it. Because, honey, I was 307 pounds, so you can go just suck it right now. Because I'm not, you know, so you go from, like, one feeling sorry for yourself to the other, like, are you freaking kidding me? So (laughs) I'm not emotionally there, and this is my perfect meeting. (laughs) Um, Anyway, one of the things that I am currently, which I thought was kind of interesting, I was picked for service, is... um, the emotional connection and this is something I'm working working in my spiritual practice and that is feeling disconnected. And um just a little background of my story is um I'm adopted and I've been in foster home since I was born. So that just will tell you right there for any therapist that I'll probably be calling you <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. What the abandonment and the disconnection I may have and then while being adopted, um, being in a family that I just was sharing with somebody that will just try to absorb you into the family, which everybody thinks is normal to do, but as an adoptee, that's not how you feel. And that you need you need a little bit more. You just need a little bit more. And sometimes the family that you're adopting into doesn't have that capacity. And that's where I'm at today. I have to accept that. So I've always had to just connect with the world. I've never really felt connected or I belonged. I always felt like I had the unicorn and I was the, you know, the strange unicorn or just something and then when I got in the program I realized and I started to share my story I wasn't so uniquely you know a lot of people had that story physical abuse and etc cetera, etc cetera, and dysfunctional families and my mother's bipolar and she raised me and adopted me as a single mother so you know a lot of people have experienced that or even worse and so I started to feel a part of however not so much Um, I think physically I had a good recovery and I think I'm I'm just now saying I'm proud of myself after I've lost the weight and been maintaining it now for some time however um emotionally I just I was I feel like now I've I've gotten it I I feel a part of and um a part of this world and it's only the last couple of weeks it hasn't been really recent and um one of the things was I was recently laid off from my job, which was really abusive, and I'd been in that same department for three years. And um, the bottom line for me was before I was laid off was principles before personalities, and it was a service that I had to do, and I needed to show up on time, take my breaks on time, take exactly 15 minutes, take my lunch on time, and if I'm late or if I do something, I needed to be accountable and make it up or do what I needed to do. And then I was let go once I got to that point. It was really weird. Once I was not in the resistance of the job and things like that, I was like, oh. And and they were going to have to let me go, honey. Let me just tell you right now. They were going to have to fire me or something because I was getting unemployment because I'm not quitting. I wasn't going to quit. That's how it was. I was not going to walk out and quit on this job. You were going to have to let me go. And I dug my heels in and I stayed. And that's just how it was. But, however, it was, it was abusive. And there were things there that... I think I manifested and one of the things were believing in somebody else's perceptions, their realities of me, their lives, whatever they thought of me, I believed it, I took it on. And not only did I take it on, I internalized it. And then I saw myself becoming that. And then I felt like a horrible person. And um that it's It creates some kind of isolation sometimes when you feel like you're a horrible person. (laughs) Then you lost 115 pounds. You're like, well, am I bad or am I not? You know, you just, there's a lot going on there. It's really weighty. Um, Like I said, those comments became reality. For example, they thought that I was confrontational and I was this and I was that. Well, you know, I'm tall. I'm black and black people were direct. And that's just how it is. And when you deal with another culture who is not direct, they feel you are confrontational. It had nothing to do with me. That's my culture and your culture. But I got this after I was fired. I mean, after I was laid off. You know, so God did for me what he can do for myself because I wouldn't have got it in that job. I wouldn't have got it. So that was one of the things. And then I realized, I'm not that bad. What the hell was I doing? What, what, What was I thinking? I, and then I thought, and I just started to think back because I've had a lot of time and I write every day in my journal and I write three pages. You know, I mean, lately it's been six or seven because I just, I'm just i detoxing from the abusive job, basically. And um, I realized, God, I, I really took on a lot of other people's crap. And I really manifested that. And I did that. That that's not that's not you or you or you. That's me. I took that on. And how did I take that on? And where did that come from? And why did I believe that? And um, part of it is because, well, I said the adoption and being the disconnected in my family. I, I it stems from some of my family, and I can't blame it all, and because I internalized it again with them, and I took it on myself again. However. There just has to be a point where it has to stop because you realize you've, I, I realize I've created this reality, part of it. I'm partly responsible. I have a responsibility. And I need to stop believing other people's lives and perceptions about me. And when they, and I, I finally got what people, what people think about you is none of your business. I've, I finally got that. It's, I'm very slow. I'm very slow. I'm this, you know, I read a book and it takes me a year to get it. You know, self-help books. And they never really worked for me because I never was really helping myself. It always took forever. So I'm I'm very slow in processing and getting things. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So um, another thing was, along with those behaviors, um, I was living in a story. A story was, um, oh, my God, you know, know, this is far out, but, oh, my God, the the world's going to end. I don't even know what's going to happen in the next ten minutes. You know, I, I just don't know, but I always lived in a story, and then I lived in somebody else's story about me, which caused a disconnect, which caused emotion. I wasn't emotionally always recovering, and um, then it was compare and despair, which I know you guys have heard before, and doom and gloom, so I never, I, I was I was always in the future, the, the, the future of, you know, the world's going to end, I'm, I'm going to die, or... In the past, I'm such a horrible person. So, you know, if you paint a story, I tell my son, because he, he went there with me one time. He wanted to get an Android phone, and he's 13. I'm like, you got to, no. Mm-hmm. So I told him, he was, whoa well, and this and that, and he was just in the story. I said, listen, if you're going to paint a story, paint it to where we win the lotto, you know, you know something happens. I, you know, I have a maid, I have a nanny, you go off to boarding school, uh, you know. Let's paint a good picture. If I'm gonna paint a story and live in the future, let me paint something good. Let's not paint something bad. I mean, but that's me, that was my negativity. And then sometimes it would come about. It would just manifest. So and then when I was living in the story I just didn't trust anybody. So which turned in sometimes I wasn't honest. Then I became a liar. Who wants to be a liar? I don't wanna be a liar. I like to think of oh, I'm just a great American citizen. But, you know, when I'm in the story, I'm a liar, I'm in fear, I'm in resentment, I'm angry, I'm depressed. Reality for me is always much better than what I'm painting or what I'm living in back there. And um, and I want to go back to the weight loss and the body image. You know, and I watch now, I'm laid off, you know, I watch a lot of sometimes TV and, uh, you know, I have to get out of, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't look like her. i got to do this. i got to compulsively do that. And it's like my mind something says, hello, you've lost 115 pounds. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> you know, like, but that's how, I think that's how the self-sabotage and relapse starts because you don't see what you're actually doing. You don't see what you've done, the progress that you've made. I just, for a long time, I couldn't see it, but I had the physical recovery. I don't know how I did it. Again, God doing for me what I can do for myself. And I just wasn't in the reality. And I have to get in reality because I am so sick of some of the life that I have created. Is that it? Thank you. So I'm just, I, I just, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired. And I just tell myself, no, we got, this has to change. Self, so, yes. Are you change? Mm-hmm. So things that I do to change. <laughs> I talk to myself a lot. It's really crazy. Our um, daily walk. I have to walk, and if I don't do it daily, it's at least every other day, and I have to just walk. And I usually have, you know, some listen to music. But then towards the end of my cool down, I just find things to be thankful for, and little small things, or I'll see a squirrel running around, or I'll see this, or I live in Riverside, so that's where all the smog comes. So if I can see to the mountain, to the other city, I'm thankful that I'm not inhaling the smog. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's not much, but it gives me hope, (laughs) you know. It's like, oh, we don't have bad air quality. Thank God for that. So um, I state before I go to bed and then when I wake up that all my needs are met just for today. I say that, and I just started saying that. And and here and there, little blessings happen. My bank account may may be like, ooh, Lordy. But, and things just happen. And um, I also do forgiveness affirmations to myself and um I found that that I was the one person I wasn't forgiving I was forgiving everybody else oh sure it's fine yeah but I wouldn't forgive myself for you know painting my getting a shirt I didn't like or something you know was, I'm just so hard on myself so I had to forgive myself and then I was also forgiveness of others And then I would turn around, and i write this out. That's one of my morning pages, like, you know, six pages. Because I don't think I'll always consistently get on my knees and pray it out. So I have to write it out, and it's just something I have to do. Um, And then I affirm, and I bless other people, and I bless myself as well with abundance. And I pray, you know, I have good health, and, you know, yes, God loves me, and God does love my the former boss that I have, and she is a child of God, and, although we didn't get along, and she deserves to be loved and blessed too. And I don't always 100% agree with that, but I just go with it until I, you know, until it seeps in and, you know, fake it till you make it. Um, So why am I here today? I'm here. I drove. Somebody um, bought me a ticket, which I thought was great. And um, because I've lived in the story, I've isolated myself. So a lot of times I don't go places and do things with other people. And I'm just now letting go. And let me tell you, last week I went on a retreat with my son, with all these other people that are, they're not all heirs. If they were all heirs, I'd be okay.
3: But, you know, you're not all
4: heirs. I had a meltdown in the shower before I left. And it took me for, I know, I was just like, oh, my God. And I, you know, it was just drama. I just, you know. And what I, and what I got to do when I got there was to enjoy it. And my therapist said to me, and I was really pissed at her for saying this, she was like, well, this is a perfect time for you to practice God thoughts. So every throughout the day, just find something God. And I was like, are you, did I not pay my copay or something? Are you kidding me? No, you're supposed to be on my side and agreeing with me. I have not trained you over the last couple. Oh, no, no, no. But I did do what she said, and she was right. And I actually had a great time. And, um, and I, I was able to let go and let go of the control and let go of the story. And today I'm able to let go and let somebody bring me here and take me here and and treat me and treat me nice. Like oh my God, somebody you want to treat me nice? Well, God, by gosh, golly, somebody likes me. You know. So those are those things when I don't live in my own story and my own crap. So um, that's all I have on my paper today. If you want more, six hours more of this. But um, anyway. I'm Karen from England Empire, and thanks for letting me share. Thank you,
0: thank you, Karen, and thank you for coming in last minute. Um, I am going to read some of the questions here, and I'll start from the bottom. First speaker, if abstinence is not your food plan, then what is it?
2: What is it? I always wondered how people answered these questions at the end of these panels. I used to sit out there and think, I'm sure glad I wasn't supposed to answer that question because I wouldn't know what the hell to say. And um, if abstinence is not your food plan, then what is it? You know, I'm an old timer. To me, it's the same thing. Abstinence and food plan is the same thing because that's what it was before they split it up. So, um, to me, abstinence my food plan is the same thing. That's it. Thank you.
3: Thank you. To
0: all, mm-hmm. what do you do when something in the outside world pushes your buttons? and make you feel like a crazy person <laughs> anyone do i have volunteers
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> let me tell you how this is done um what do i do when something pushes my buttons um and makes me feel like a crazy person well i figure i i um I usually become a crazy person for at least a few minutes, and you know it's like I try and go straight to um, third step prayer. God, make me, uh, I offer myself to Thee to do with me and build with me as Thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do Thy will. Take away my difficulties. The victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of Thy power, Thy love, and Thy way of, and thy way of life. And sometimes I just say, God, take my words take my actions, take my thoughts, and then if that doesn't work and the person's still bothering me, I get out a baseball
0: bat.
3: <laughs>
0: oh, I just want to read this one. Good job, ladies. <laughs> Do you ever struggle with feeling out of place in a rooms in regards to the anorexia? If so, how do you deal with it? I don't think we have anorexia here. Well, yeah.
3: you can. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind.
1: <laughs> do you ever feel struggle with feeling uh, out of place in the rooms in re- regards to anorexia? Oh. Okay, I think. I mean, it is just I think it's if you're anorexic, do you feel out of? You know, um, when I okay, when I was um, really dealing mostly with, uh, yeah, I felt very, I felt very out of the place. I was extremely thin. I remember coming out of a room and people stopping me and going, "You're too thin." You know, it was it was just hard because there weren't a lot of anorexics, and there aren't a lot of anorexics. And um, so, how I, um, um, you know, uh, how do you, how do you how do you deal with it? Um, you know, there are special anorexic bulimic meetings all over the place, or at least in, I mean, all over the area that I live in, so I'm assuming that there are for you. Um, I, I try and, um, when I'm feeling like I'm having an anorexic moment, um, um, when I feel like I'm having an, an anorexic time and I'm really afraid to talk about it with anybody, um, I, I um, you know, I make sure, I make sure my sponsor tells me to make sure I talk about it within a meeting, anore- you know, who everybody is, because oftentimes I feel like I'm not really in program because I know that the people that seem really great to me are the ones that have lost 100 pounds, and I'm like, you know. So, um, how I deal with it is, is, it is difficult because there aren't that many of us, but, um, there are you know i just i ask, i reach out, and i remember that um i try to remember that um we all are we all have the same disease, and um you know so it's not it's that's how I deal with it It's not easy, but there are there are there is hope and there is help um do you ever i guess this is for me yeah, okay, what does liking what does loving yourself look like no. what do, that's a great question. I don't know what it looks like but I can tell you what it feels like. Um and what I what it looks like to me is um I uh awaken knowing that there is a power greater than myself and that I can when I loving myself means that I can trust when I turn my day over to my higher power that whatever I do um is gotta be better than the way I've done it in the past. So loving myself is, is um Day by day, slowly, I mean, slowly, 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 inch by inch, the more I surrender to my higher power, the more I realize that that I don't know what I'm doing, the more I love myself. That's what it looks like to me. Not a great answer, perhaps, but that's
3: it.
4: Um, the third uh, qu- one of the questions is, how long did you stay in the abusive job and why? I was in a, I worked in a, um, academia. I was a contractor for two years, and then I became permanent for three. And in the um, the two years weren't so bad because I went to various departments, and there were you know highs and lows. And I didn't experience. Too much thin at that time but when I got to the one department where I became a permanent employee and and that was three years and um why I didn't feel like I was good enough to leave felt like I needed to stay there and be there and and it has a lot to do with uh being a single mom and being grateful that you have a job and you know not everybody's hiring and being a black American, you know, this is what art my parents and people, tell my family tell me is, you know, you better stay on that job. You just need to take it. You better be happy you have a job because they're not hiring blacks anymore, and this isn't that. And so I just stayed there because of, out of fear that, you know, I'm not good enough. Nobody's going to hire me or I'm not going to have this. I'm going to be in a box in a week if I leave, that type of thing. No, seriously, I totally brought that on. They told me, and I just internalized it. So that's why I say thank you.
2: This is an interesting one. Michelle, how did you recently lose the last of your weight? To be perfectly honest with you, my dad died and about four months ago, and um, I stopped eating as much because I was sad, and then I realized I didn't eat as much food as I thought I needed interesting how that works, that I could actually survive on less food. And one thing that I did share with someone that I sponsor is every single time I look at a menu, every single time I think, you know, it's time to choose a meal, there's what I want and what I should have. And if 90-something percent of the time I can choose what I should have, my weight will remain stable. If I ate what I wanted at every single meal, I would... Weigh 250 pounds because what I want is
0: always more food, or what I choose is less. So thank you. I think we are running out of time and it goes till 5:15, right? So I have um, five more questions. I will read them, and if you ladies could uh, raise your hands that you may be available to talk afterwards. How do you dial this? Deal with your and how do you deal? Um, deal with your and others' perfectionistic attitude and judgments. Any, anyone? Want? Okay. <laughs> how do you get courage to call someone to get help dealing with them when you are having extreme emo- emotions such as anger or fear? That's a good one yeah yeah do you, does it call to you? Can you talk to somebody afterwards if... no, I mean uh, you know some what, what is, can you read the sure, how do you get courage to talk uh, to call someone to get help dealing with them when you are having extreme emotions such as anger or fear Either of you ladies okay whoever wrote that, just see who's raising hands. How did you learn to trust your higher powers? Okay. How do you handle the uh, movements when the food is calling and you don't feel willing to use the tools to get through it? Hmm. How do you handle that? Any of you ladies? Okay. When I'm not in a food, I am grateful but when i wonder if this is the life i am meant to be living how do you achieve great dreams while in a program live live in other countries so achievement amazing not just living to i'm not so sure what really is the question here but Make sure you stop by somebody and talk to somebody afterwards if your question was not answered, if you did not get answered that you wanted to. All right. Please help me thank the speakers for sharing the the experience they can hold. It is now time to close this session. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the Thirst Prayer. To thee, to build with me and to do with me as thy will. Relieve me of bondage of self, that so I may better do thy
3: will. Take away my Amen. difficulties that them, spiritual may bear witness to those who I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, and I do thy will always. Keep coming back it works, it's work, it, work, it, work it and you're worth it.
0: Thanks for letting me be of service.